The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to the Blue Journal Podcasts. Today we'll be discussing two editorials that are published in the August 1, 2015 edition of the Blue Journal. Both articles concern electronic cigarettes. I'm joined today by Dr. Laura Crotty-Alexander, who is a staff physician at the VA Hospital in San Diego, California, and an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. She serves as vice chair of the ATS Training Committee and is on the ATS Board of Directors. Her research focuses on host pathogen interactions in the lung, and recently she has been evaluating the impact of e-cigarettes on the lung. Also joining me is Dr. Samia Nasser. Dr. Nasser is a professor of pediatrics in the Division of Pulmonary Medicine in the, in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Michigan Medical School in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She is also a member of the ATS Health Policy Committee. Her research focuses on evaluating cystic fibrosis, early lung disease, and also improving adherence and quality of life for children with chronic lung diseases. Welcome, Dr. Nasser and Dr. Crotty Alexander. Uh, Dr. Crotty Alexander, in your editorial, you briefly described the history of electronic cigarettes and how they work. For listeners who may not be familiar with the details of e-cigarettes, would you please summarize for us how they came into being, what they're intended to do, and how they achieve their objectives? It is an interesting story. There's a pharmacist named Han Leek in China who had difficulty quitting smoking, and his father had actually died of a tobacco-related lung disease. He had a dream one night about vapor and then woke up and designed this nicotine delivery device that is now known as the electronic cigarette. The abbreviation for electronic cigarette is e-cigarette. And he created these devices in 2003. The e-cigarette rapidly went international in 2007 and now is more than a $2 billion industry. The e-cigarette is composed of a rechargeable battery that can be plugged in via USB port in your car, in your home, anywhere. It also has a cartridge or tank that can be bought pre-filled with a liquid or can be filled by the e-cigarette user themselves. The liquid contains nicotine over 99% of the time. The nicotine is dissolved in propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin. It is a common misconception that the vapor created by e-cigarettes is water vapor, but it is not. It is propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin, which is heated by a metal coil. The e-cigarette battery supplies 3 to 8 volts to the metal coil, which heats the liquid, the liquid is pulled through an atomizer to create a mix of gas and solid droplets to be inhaled. This aerosol is what is commonly known as e-cigarette vapor. And when people use e-cigarettes, they are known as vapors, and they are vaping these devices as some of the lingo to understand. 
these devices were originally designed to help with smoking cessation. They were designed to deliver nicotine to the lungs as a way of giving cigarette smokers both the physical and chemical feelings of smoking without the toxins in combustible cigarettes. Although the e-cigarette was originally designed to deliver nicotine and help smokers quit using conventional cigarettes, so far the appropriately designed and unbiased clinical trials completed to date do not show any benefit of e-cigarettes over other nicotine delivery systems, such as nicotine patches or nicotine gum. Dr. Nasser, in your editorial, you describe potentially one of the unintended consequences of the introduction of electronic cigarettes, which is the increasing use of e-cigarettes by adolescents. Could you please tell us what's happening with the use of e-cigarettes in middle and high school students in the United States and why they may be using these devices more frequently over time? In a recent report uh, on tobacco use in middle school and high school students published in the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, or MMWR, uh, it summarized the results of a CDC and FDA uh, report that uh, about the national youth of tobacco uh, surveys. The survey is conducted uh, usually between 2011 and 2014, started in 2011, and is going on. This survey is a cross-sectional, school-based, self-administered pencil paper questionnaire administered to the U.S. middle school and high school kids assessing the current use of cigarette, meaning in the last 30 days. Uh, it also assesses the cigar use, the smokeless tobacco use, e-cigarette, hookah, which is an interesting uh, device that apparently started in India uh, and very common in the Middle East and now in the U.S. as well. There's tobacco pipes and other tobacco products. The study found uh, that in 2014, the e-cigarettes were the most commonly used tobacco product among middle uh, school children at 3.9%, and in high school children, it was 13.4% incidence. Essentially, that is tripling the prevalence seen in 2013 and surpassing current use of every other tobacco product, including, uh, including conventional cigarettes. The e-cigarettes were the most used tobacco product for non-Hispanic whites, Hispanics, non-Hispanic other uh, race, while cigars were the most commonly used in the non-Hispanic blacks. Uh, and no really reasons for that given. Between 2011 and 2014, there was statistical significant uh, increase uh, observed among the students um, for current use of both e-cigarette and hookah, and it was significant at, le at uh, less than 0.05, uh, with decrease where uh, observed for current use uh, for more uh, traditional products. So there was a decrease in the traditional products of cigarette and cigars, but increase in these products, which at the end of the day, was, there was no change in overall tobacco use. Uh, when there is an increase 
in the e-cigarette and the hookah use, then there was a reduction in the cigarette use. They're both equivalent. At the end of the day, there were overall no change. Consequently, there is 4.6 million middle school children uh, and high school children that continue to be exposed to, to nicotine and other harmful tobacco products in the meanwhile. The uh, study indicated that uh, nearly half of the middle school students and more than half of the high school students use two or more tobacco products. So if you're using one, you're most likely going to use another one with it. And that cumulative risk uh, of this combined use is really unknown uh, at this point in time because it wasn't really studied. So the other part of the question is why they may be uh, using these devices more frequently. And the reason for that is that uh, driven by the worldwide recognition of the inherent danger of smoking cigarettes, and also there is an aggressive marketing of the electronic cigarette or the e-cigarette industry, then the electronic cigarette market is taking over and really expanding quickly. The advertisement advertised that this product is safe uh, because of lack of tar and other combustion products. However, uh, they are a potent vehicle for delivery of nicotine, and little is known about other potential risks that I will get into in other questions as well about the other um, additives to the e-cigarettes. Dr. Crowley Alexander, you note that current marketing appears to target young people particularly aggressively. Will you please explain how advertising and marketing are focusing on the young, and how are they getting United States adolescents to pick up e-cigarettes? E-cigarette companies are appealing to children and youth by putting pictures of colorful fruits and candy with variations on names like cotton candy, fudge brownie, Captain Crunch, toasted marshmallow, strawberry shortcake. They put these pictures and these names on their flavoring bottles as well as on their packaging. And these pictures really appeal to children because they are fruits and candies that they like to eat. It is known that women and children are known to prefer sweet flavors. Therefore, these companies know that by supplying these flavors for the e-cigarette devices, that they are more likely to get women and children to buy them and use them. The e-cigarette companies are also targeting regular cigarette smokers, of course, with flavors mimicking the common brands of combustible cigarettes, such as Marlboro, Camel, Lucky Strike. They are also targeting ethnic groups by supplying minty flavors, which are known to be preferred, including menthol and chocolate mint. In particular, the e-cigarette companies are appealing to teenagers and uh, younger adults by having pop culture icons and movie stars use these devices in their online advertisements, billboards, and in magazines. And they are really sending the message that it is cool and hip to use these electronic nicotine delivery devices. Dr. Nasser, we've established that the e-cigarette companies appear to have figured out how to market their products towards young people 
and it appears, at least on some level, that this marketing is successful with the increased rates of adoption of e-cigarette vaping among United States adolescents. Could you please tell us a little bit about why e-cigarettes might be especially harmful when used by adolescents and children? Can you tell us about some of the more immediately dangerous intoxications that may have resulted from e-cigarette use in young people? This is a very important question. So the public health implication of continuing exposure uh, of the vulnerable children to nicotine must not be underestimated. In addition, it serves as a gateway for concomitant and future use of tobacco. The nicotine is also a highly addictive drug for which prolonged exposure carries documented risks to cardiovascular system and immune system as well. Nicotine exposure during pregnancy impacts brain development and may lead to low birth weight and or premature labor and delivery. This is particularly important because teens and young adults have the highest rate of tobacco use during pregnancy. And like Dr. Krotny Alexander mentioned, they are marketed towards uh, ladies and girls and, and teenagers uh, heavily. Accumulated human and animal evidence suggested that exposure to nicotine during adolescence, a critical window for brain development, can have lasting adverse effect on cognitive function and brain development. Finally, nicotine can serve as a route to other addictive substances and can lead to insomnia, disruption of sleep, architecture, uh, with resulting implication of mood and behavior changes and less productivity. And these public health implications cannot be ignored or minimized. As Dr. Nasser mentioned, nicotine exposure in adolescents and children is very dangerous. Unfortunately, cigarette smokers are commonly doing dual use, where they are using e-cigarettes indoors, in cars, at home, in their offices, and then using their combustible cigarettes outside. Because of the advertisements that have been made about the e-cigarette being safe, many people are vaping these devices in the presence of their children, their babies, their wives. And unfortunately, this is leading to nicotine exposure, secondhand and thirdhand, uh, in these vulnerable populations. Dr. Crotty Alexander, your editorial calls for more research to address several important scientific questions related to e-cigarette use. From your perspective, what are the most important areas of research focus in the future? The number one research question that many of us are eager to answer is whether chronic e-cigarette vapor inhalation will lead to disease. In particular, just like conventional cigarettes cause disease over decades of use, we want to know whether e-cigarette vapor inhalation over years to decades will cause lung disease, such as emphysema and chronic bronchitis, cancer, and cardiovascular disease. It is possible because they are made out of different chemicals compared to combustible cigarettes that e-cigarettes may cause their own diseases, In particular, there is concern for lipoid pneumonia because of the glycols uh, present in this device. E-cigarettes have been documented by many different researchers to contain carcinogenic compounds, 
across brands and across different liquids. Many of these toxins are found in conventional cigarettes as well. A second research question that is very important that we address is whether secondhand e-cigarette exposure is safe, especially for women and children. As we mentioned before, e-cigarette users are vaping inside their homes and cars in presence of these vulnerable populations. These e-cigarette users believe that there are no adverse consequences, even though there is no data so far to this effect. In fact, there are some studies suggesting that secondhand vapor confers the same blood levels of nicotine as compared to secondhand smoke. A final research question is, how can we make these devices safer for the public? The e-cigarette is so popular right now and has exponential growth that we don't foresee in the near future these drug delivery devices going away. So if we could find ways to improve their safety, this may be helpful to prevent potential diseases. In particular, research into using clean liquids and flavors, having the e-cigarette companies lower the battery voltage, as it is known that the higher voltage batteries produce higher levels of formaldehyde through chemical reactions, and also to have the manufacturers provide the correct nicotine concentration on the labels as well as correct chemical compositions across the e-liquids. Many children are drinking these e-liquids because manufacturers are selling them without child-proof safety caps. Dr. Nasser, Dr. Crotty Alexander just mentioned several of the potential hazards contained by the liquid vehicles used in the e-cigarette mechanism. But you note in your article that the contents of e-cigarettes is highly variable and quite poorly understood, and that the contents are also quite lightly regulated. What risks do you foresee emerging from this situation? So among the hundreds of electronic uh, nicotine delivery devices and products, many are poorly regulated and lack production uh, standards. The absence of regulation poses safety risk, including risk for lethal ingestion of concentrated nicotine in children, as Dr. Krotny Alexander just mentioned. And we're seeing quite a bit of patients coming in to the emergency department because of that. In many places, electronic cigarettes are not licensed as a drug or tobacco product with no restriction on sales to minors and no control of advertisement and promotions. The e-cigarette advertisement also is directed to children and young adults is increasing dramatically. Uh, more e-cigarette manufacturers advertise heavily through social media system and avoid using the word cigarette because of its negative connotation. Thus, teenagers, when you ask them, are you smoking cigarettes, they would say, no, we're not, but they are vaping instead. So that word, so when, when anybody's asking teenagers about e-cigarette use, we should make sure to mention vaping as well. On a nicotine containing, there is flavoring. It's used also for flavoring a hookah pen as well. Uh, this may underestimate the self-reported e-cigarette use in surveys. Finally, there are no requirements to state the ingredients of their quantities. 
the ingredients may vary with products and with different patches of the same product even because there is no regulation. Other drugs such as cannabis oil or cocaine solution can be added easily to the nicotine cartilages. The other thing is the safety of the inhaled flavoring is largely unknown. Products approved for flavoring food cannot be assumed to be safe to be inhaled. There have been reported of lethal bronchiolitis obliterans developed in workers at microwave popcorn plants who inhaled butter flavoring. There are workers at other flavoring manufacturers' facilities that had respiratory symptoms and lung function abnormalities related to their work, and also asthma can arise from exposure to food flavoring. So really the the immediate danger, if you will, or risks are multifold and and quite a bit, and it's not going to be addressed unless there's some regulation that helps control the situation. Dr. Crotty Alexander, I want to go back to your comments about research to try to address some of the scientific and clinical questions that arise from e-cigarette use. But there seems to be an intrinsic dilemma here, which is that this product has only been on the market for several years. How do you suggest that we address the difficulties that are intrinsic in estimating long-term risk from a product that's been commercially available for less than a decade? It is very difficult, especially as we think about the history of the combustible cigarette, where they began being mass-produced in the late 1800s, but we as a population didn't realize the diverse consequences on human health until the mid-1900s. So we really don't want to wait 50 to 70 years to find out the full toxic effects of these devices if they exist. So for the moment, we have to rely on bench research to evaluate the effects of e-cigarette vapor on human cells and tissues while we acquire the long-term safety data through epidemiologic studies. In the end, we will need large human subject studies because, as Dr. Nasser mentioned, the e-liquids and e-cigarette devices have a lot of variability from brand to brand and even within brands. So to find signals in the population from using these devices, we will need to look at many people. Studies on heavy e-cigarette users may be helpful as inflammatory, infectious, or other side effects that occur may happen more quickly in these subjects. We know some people use these devices much more than others based on blogging. The e-cigarette using community is vastly online, and they like to communicate with each other about how much liquid they go through on a daily basis. It is helpful for clinicians to understand how to ask about e-cigarette use, because instead of asking how many packs per day a cigarette smoker is smoking, you need to ask e-cigarette users how much liquid they're going through per day and what nicotine concentration they're using. Some e-cigarette users may only use one milliliter per day, while others will use upward of six to nine milliliters per day. Finally, there are people who are using electronic hookahs and electronic cigars, which have exactly the same components as an e-cigarette, but tend to deliver larger volumes of vapor. 
So in general, we need to look to our basic scientists to study the components of e-cigarette vapor and their effect on the immune system, on the cardiovascular system, and on the carcinogenic effects on human cells. Dr. Nasser, Dr. Crotty Alexander just described for us what sounds like a new vocabulary that respiratory physicians, nurses, and other clinicians who take care of respiratory patients or any patients in general are going to have to learn as we try to understand what the people we take care of might be doing with e-cigarettes. Aside from changing our bedside clinical vocabulary, what kinds of advocacy efforts do you suggest respiratory medicine professionals use to try to address the rising number of young people who seem to be using e-cigarettes and other non-cigarette forms of nicotine delivery? This is a very important question because, as we mentioned, both me and Dr. Karatni Alexander, there is a, a huge risk and danger for not only the young people, but also for babies, for adults, for everybody involved here, for the community, and nationally and internationally, to tell you the truth, when you ride in a plane, you might realize that some people are doing electronic cigarettes in the in the bathrooms, and you have no idea that's happening, but I've known that's as true. So we really need to be proactive, we need to educate, and we need to start the process for uh, helping to regulate this, this issue. So knowing that tobacco use and addiction most often begins during youth and young adulthood, uh, youth use of tobacco in any form is unsafe. We need to address that with patients. We need to address that with our young adults that we see in our clinic, and that might also be lasting adverse consequence on their developing brain. And as you explain it to patients, maybe that will help them realizing what they're doing and also letting you know what they're doing. The lack of regulation covering advertisement and ingredients and quality and quantity of additives from the tobacco companies is also very alarming and need to be addressed, particularly with regards to marketing of the tobacco products to children also is important. Another issue is because the use of emerging tobacco products with the e-cigarette and hookah is on the rise among middle and high school children, it is critical that comprehensive tobacco control and prevention strategies for youth should address all the tobacco products and not just cigarettes. So really very important for organizations, the American Thoracic Society that we've been very active with and other organizations to lobby heavily for more regulations from the FDA and the CDC on the uh, e-cigarette and hookah products as well. In addition, there is an urgent need for e-cigarette to be subjected to the same marketing and uh, manufacturing restriction as other tobacco products. We have regulations and, and restrictions on the tobacco products. E-cigarette and hookah should really be under that as well to at least know what is in these products and how that would be affecting patients. If you try to study right now the e-cigarette and the hookah use, it is very uncertain and it's very uh, wide, wide range because you don't have regulated product to study. So it will be really starting by we need regulation, we need more control over 
what the e-cigarette products are, then this way we can study them and realize what's going on with it and address the issues that would come up from that. As Dr. Nasser mentioned, we are very worried about the new generation of nicotine addicts from people who are starting to use these e-cigarettes where they have never used a tobacco product before. However, another adverse effect of the marketing is on our adult population, on cigarette smokers who have quit or are trying to quit combustible cigarettes. As we now know, watching someone puff on an e-cigarette actually induces the same desire for a combustible cigarette as watching someone smoke. I think one thing is that not only the problem is in the teenage kids with middle school and high school students getting into that, but also for adults, the thinking they are quitting smoking by using the e-cigarette, and that is very dangerous because they end up being hooked on it. I'm also worried about the e-cigarette users, uh, adults, that are exposing household or other people in uh, social uh, gathering to the e-cigarette vaping and that we don't know the results of that and I'm really worried about side effects from it and secondhand exposure effect on that. Today, with the assistance of Dr. Samia Nasser and Dr. Laura Crotty Alexander, we explored many of the issues swirling around the relatively recent phenomenon of electronic cigarette use. We covered the history of electronic cigarettes, what they contain, and how they deliver nicotine to users. We also discussed the growing use of these electronic cigarettes as well as other alternative nicotine delivery products, especially among young people in the United States. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Blue Journal podcasts.